0: this morning actually this next 3 weeks the lord has me speaking to us about relationships about well i don't want to take away thunder for the next 2 weeks but this week the discussion is on the idea of reconciliation um and you just read the letter literally It was a letter written by Paul to a person named Philemon. It was also addressed to Philemon's, what they believe was Philemon's wife, Archippus. I mean, uh, 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 yeah, I don't have it in front of me. Um, Appiah, what they believe was his wife, and then Archippus. They're not sure, scholars are not sure if Archippus was the son of Philemon and Appiah. Or if Archippus was the pastor of the church that met in Philemon's home. But regardless, the letter was written to those three people. Philemon, Athia, and Archippus. Now, giving a little bit of background. And we talked just a a little bit, interestingly enough, about this in Sunday school. When Paul went on his missionary journey to the to, to the uh, the, uh, the Greek area the, the Hellenized area. Um, we are given a little glimpse of his time in that in Colossian and Ephesus in that area in Acts um, chapter 17. So if someone would turn to to Acts chapter 17, or if you just turn with me, I'll I'll go there as well. And I said 17. I'm sorry, it's 19. Acts chapter 19. We see Paul in Ephesus. And it says uh, in the first ten verses, it says, "While While Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the interior regions and came to Ephesus where he found some disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you became believers? They replied, No, we haven't even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. And then he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they answered, Into John's baptism. Paul said, Well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. Altogether, there were about twelve of them. Paul entered the synagogue, and for three months spoke out boldly and argued persuasively about the kingdom of God. And when some stubbornly stubbornly refused to believe and spoke evil of the way before the congregation, Paul left them, taking the, the disciples with him, now he had 12 disciples, and argued daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, Paul was in that area preaching for two years. And Colossae is close to Ephesus. And so it is understood or believed that some way, somehow, Philemon came to faith in Jesus Christ under the the teachings of Paul during those two years that Paul was in Ephesus that we read about just now in Acts chapter 19. So Paul has brought to faith Philemon. Somehow, some way, Philemon has opened his home to have a group of believers meet regularly as a church. Archippus, whether it's Philemon's son or whether it's just a leader in the local church, is the pastor over this congregation. And uh, Aphia is a, uh, a member of this household that's responsible for making sure that the house is ready by ordering the servants the slaves, to make sure everything's prepared, and that there's food ready when they have the need for food, etc. So it's a, it's, a, it's a big deal. It's a family deal that the church meets there. This also tells us that Philemon was a well-to-do person. Philemon had a house big enough to hold a church, had household slaves. Um, he was held in high regard by Paul. Um, not that that means that he's rich, but it just we understand that he was a leader in this community. Now, <clears throat> excuse me this the the other thing you you need to know in in connection or background to this is that at the time of this writing Paul is in prison in Rome okay so he's he's spent his 2 years in Ephesus and established the relationships the church has been established he's then moved around gone around and done different things and he's now in jail in Rome um and he receives guests at his prison in Rome, and somehow, some way, he gets word that things are going on back in Ephesus, whether it's just through letters or people visiting him, he's hearing the news of the church that's going on in Ephesus, and as a result, he feels compelled of the Lord to write a letter, and the letter that he writes, actually he writes three letters, one is the letter to the Laodiceans, which we no longer have access to. We don't know what happened to that letter. The other letter was the letter to the Colossians. And that letter was sent with, uh, by, by a man named Tychicus. Um, and if you look in Colossians chapter 4, you don't need to look at it right now, but look in Colossians chapter 4, verses 7 to 9. It says that Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He's a beloved brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant of the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose so that you'll know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, the faithful and beloved brother who is with you. And they will tell you everything here. And then also in Colossians chapter 4, verse 17, Paul says in Colossians, he says, And say to Archippus, see that you complete the task that you have received in the Lord. So, what we understand is that there's a connection, some way, between the Colossian church and Philemon's household. Is it that the Colossian church is the church that actually meets in Philemon's house? We don't have any evidence to be able to say that for sure. That's a possibility. But the bottom line is this the, the, there were three letters written by Paul from his time in the prison. One was the letter to Laodicea, which is no longer extant. We don't have access to that letter. The letter to the Colossians, which was hand-carried by Tychicus to, um, uh, to the Colossian church. And he was accompanied by a guy named Onesimus. And they also carried this third letter, the letter that we now know as Philemon. And the name Onesimus is mentioned in the Philemon letter. And you see what the deal is is this. Onesimus was a household slave in the house of Philemon. Onesimus in I mean the household slaves in that time were very usually very well thought of. Think about Joseph in, in Potiphar's house, okay? He was a slave but he had privileges. He was responsible for the maintenance and upkeep of the entire household. And if you listen, if you listen to when, when jo- Joseph was saying, No, I will not sleep with you to the wife of Potiphar, what did he say? My master has given me authority over every part of this house. The only thing he doesn't give me access to is you. Why would I ever do anything like this to violate my covenant with my master or violate my relationship with God? So we have this evidence that, that a household slave can be held in high esteem and have a high place, high standing. It's it's not, uh, <coughs> excuse me, it's not the uh, the understanding that we have in our Western world of these slaves that are chained to each other and being bitten by, you know, beaten by whips. Necessarily, It could be just that these people are enslaved for whatever reason, and it is even possible back then for a slave to raise money so that they could buy their freedom. Um, and so it's very likely that Onesimus, who was a household slave, had great freedom within his responsibilities as the household slave to Philemon. Because what we don't know specifically from the scriptures, but what we can infer is that somehow, some way, Onesimus escaped from Philemon. And as Paul said, and if he's taken anything from you, if he has robbed you, hold me to account for that. Okay? So think about this. And again, we're stepping outside of what Scripture says right now because we don't have this. But think that, say Philemon says <coughs> to, uh, to Onesimus, I need you to run, <coughs> <coughs> excuse me, I need you to run to the port city of Ephesus and carry this sum of money with you because I've got a contract being led with ABC distributors and we need to get that money to them so that they can place my order so that I can have these goods when I need them in three or four months. So Onesimus sees this as an opportunity to finally get out from under Philemon's thumb. He takes the money that he was entrusted with by Philemon. He leaves the home in Colossae, goes to Ephesus, which is not a long journey, gets to Ephesus and disappears, gets onto a boat and goes to Rome, which was the largest, most populous city in the Roman Empire at the time, an easy place for someone to quietly live, totally obscure from anybody watching, and he has a lump of money with him to be able to establish a new life, okay? So although the scriptures don't specifically say that's what happened, we can understand that something along those lines did indeed happen. Onesimus, we know, was a household slave. Onesimus, it is inferred, robbed Philemon. He was in Rome. He used to live in the area of Ephesus and so all of this other stuff is filler to give us an understanding. So now we've got Onesimus, this runaway slave, living in Rome, establishing a new life, and somehow, some way, he comes into contact with someone who knows Paul. I don't know how, what or where, but somehow Onesimus comes into the ministry of Paul. Hears the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, is convicted of his sins, and then repents of his sins, confesses his sins, and becomes a believer in the Lord Jesus. And Paul and Onesimus have a relationship that's established to the point where Paul literally says, He is my bowels. Okay, now for us that sounds gross, but in that era, in that part of the world, when they said bowels, they talked, that was the heart. Okay? If we said to, if you said to somebody, you're the heart of my heart. Paul would have said, you're my guts. And it would mean the same thing. Okay? So this idea is, when you read in, in, in Philemon, that he says, Onesimus is my heart. He's literally saying, he's my bowels, he's my guts. Which means the depths of my being, I have great emotion for this, my child that has come to faith as a result of my ministry. So now, we've got this really wonderful, glorious story. We've got this sinner who has stolen from his master, who has left his master's uh, I mean, a household, and run off and and finally come to know Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. And Paul says, So, Onesimus, tell me how you even got to Rome in the first place. Oh, well, I have to tell you the truth. The truth is this, and he tells his story. Well, maybe Onesimus knows that Paul knows Philemon, maybe he doesn't, but the bottom line is now we have a dilemma. Now we have a situation. Because why? Well, first of all, I'll tell you why. Number one, in Deuteronomy chapter 23, the law of Moses says, slaves who have escaped from their owners shall not be given back to them. They shall reside with you, the the Israelites, in your midst, in any place they choose, in any one of your towns, wherever they please, you shall not oppress them. In other words, if a slave gets out and comes to you, you do not return them to their master. You have no obligation to do that as a Jew. However, the Roman law required that anyone who was an escaped slave be returned to their master. Paul, as we know, is a citizen of Rome. He's a legal citizen of of Rome, So now we have a situation there. Even though under the law of Moses, he's under no obligation to have Onesimus go back to Philemon. Under the law of Rome, he is. And where's Paul right now? He's in a Roman prison under scrutiny. And he's trying to honor God. He's trying to do what's right. And he's got this moral dilemma that he's faced with. Here's this guy who has come to faith and is very useful, he says in this letter to Paul, blesses him, provides benefit to him. They have this heart-to-heart relationship. But the law requires him to return him, return Onesimus to Philemon. And because Paul is under Roman rule right now, and in the prison his life is being scrutinized by Rome, he can't just ignore this and hide this. So he has to do something. Now, put yourself in that place. You are the one who just nurtured the new faith of this young man. Who has, it may not be a young man, but anyway, this, this man, has, this is a brand new baby Christian that you're responsible for their upbringing and their welfare and their coming to know Jesus Christ in a better and more deeper and fuller way. And you have to say to him, we've got to get you home to Philemon. Now put yourself in the position of Onesimus. What does Onesimus do? Because Onesimus is under threat of death for running away. He could literally be killed when he gets back If Philemon so chose. Not that it's going to happen. It could be that Philemon could show mercy and grace. But for sure it's going to be an uncomfortable, very, very frustrating situation. And life is not going to be good when he gets back. But he's a Christian now. And he has to do what's right. And brings honor to God. And is not self-serving. So how do we deal with this? So Paul says, Onesimus, I'm going to take some action here. Obviously, you have to agree to this. But I have a little bit of influence with Philemon, your former master. I think I can use my influence to help. And so Paul writes a letter, and it says, in his own hand, he writes the end of it at least. And he says, basically, I plead with you as a fellow brother in the Lord. I am an apostle. And yes, I could use my apostolic authority, but that's not what this is about. I plead with you, fellow brother in Christ. Will you welcome this fellow brother in Christ? who used to be useless to you, but he will now prove to be useful to you in your work in the Galatian area, bringing about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's proven himself faithful and true to the gospel here in Rome and to me, and I'm encouraging you to welcome him back, not as a slave that has been recaptured, but as a brother in the Lord. And then Paul says, and it's so Jewish of him. Jewish. Think about a Jewish mother, a Jewish father says, and I don't need to remind you that you owe me your very life. I don't want to say that, but let me just say it. But the reality is, he says, I'm placing it in your hands. Now, the interesting thing is, there was no such thing as internet. There was no such thing as Uh, well they did have mail I guess but mail had to be hand carried and so we see in, in, in the Colossians story that Tychicus along with Onesimus hand carried this letter from Paul to Philemon that means that Onesimus had to get on a boat had to travel from the Roman peninsula to Ephesus then get into a cart or walk or ride a donkey or something and go to Colossae along with Tychicus and then walk up to the door and knock. At any point in this journey Onesimus could have changed his heart and said, I ain't doing it. I'm done. And he walked and disappeared again. And no one would have known anything about him. Except it wasn't the God-honoring thing. It wasn't the appropriate and right thing. No matter how hard this is going to be, no matter how painful this may end up being for me, because I have no idea how he's going to respond. Yeah, I got this Paul thing, but how much influence really have I got? And so then he walks up with Tychicus in support of him and says, Philemon, Philemon, here, I've got this letter for you from Paul. Now, let's transition. You're Philemon answering the door. You're a brother in the Lord. You're trying to honor God with your life. You're hosting a church. Your son's the pastor, maybe. And this runaway slave who stole a large sum of money from you shows up on your doorstep. What's your response? How do you respond? Then you get the letter and you read it. Now you've got a dilemma. Because the law says you're right and Onesimus is wrong. And you have every right to punish him. You have every right to demand of him the money that he stole from you. Every right. Even Paul can't deny you that. But Paul says, grace, mercy, love. And if there is any need for making things right, charge me. Don't charge him. I'll pay you back. I don't know how or when, but I'll pay you back. So, we have an interesting picture from the ancient world. Three key players, all with a goal of reconciliation, making things right between three people. Paul does not know what's going on. There isn't a telephone, there isn't an internet, there isn't email. There is nothing except for this long, long snail mail process. So he sends Tychicus and Onesimus off on this journey and hasn't a clue what's going on. His day to day is praying. God's favor and mercy and protection over Onesimus. God soften Philemon's heart. God work out your perfect will in this day after day. That's his prayer. Onesimus's prayer as he's traveling the week and a half or two weeks to get back to Colossae. Oh God, give me strength as I process through this and do what you're asking of me. It is not something I would choose in my own, but I know in my heart and my spirit, this is the right thing. Give me grace. And all of the time that Paul's praying that and Onesimus is praying his prayer, Philemon's fat, dumb, and happy at home going, oh Jesus, I love you. I love you with my heart and my soul and I want to give you all of my things. I surrender all of my will. I want to be a holy man of God. I want to honor you with my life, in my actions, in my choices, in my words. Bless me today. Those were his devotions the morning just before Onesimus knocks on his door. How do you respond? What do you do? And then I'll give you the last little bit. We wouldn't know anything about this story if all three individuals didn't act Christ like. If Paul hadn't acted Christ like, he never would have written a letter. If Onesimus hadn't done what was right and appropriate and godly, he never would have carried the letter. And if Philemon, if Philemon hadn't done what was godly and Christ-like, he would have burned the letter. Right? Because, read, somebody read the first few verses again. What does it say? Who is it addressed to? Paul, I think it's chat, verse 2 or 3. What is it? Who, who is it addressed to? And? Uh-huh and there's four addressees: Philemon, Aphia, Archippus, and the church that meets in your house. This letter was a public letter. It was to be read at the church service. Now that puts a little bit of strain on Philemon to do the right thing, doesn't it? Paul's not stupid. If Philemon had not done what was supposed to be done, we would never have known about this. So the evidence tells us all three acted Christ-like, godly, and did the right thing, which brought about healing of relationship, reconciliation. Can you imagine the freedom that Onesimus was experiencing when he was graced with Philemon's forgiveness? Can you imagine the release from guilt that he felt? Can you imagine the release that Philemon felt when he no longer had to carry the burden of anger and feeling of mistrust that he had been burned by this man that he entrusted to? His his money and his livelihood to thee. He said, I trusted you and you violated my trust. He no longer carries that burden because they are healed and reconciled. Why? Because an old man who's stuck in prison used some authority that he had. Not his apostolic authority. He used his friendship authority. You and I have a good relationship, Philemon. You honor me. You know me. I know you. We know each other's hearts. We love each other. So I'm not asking you as Apostle Paul. I'm asking you as Brother Paul. Welcome this guy back. Three different people had three different choices to make to bring reconciliation to the relationship. And if any one of them had failed to do the God-honoring thing, the relationship would have been destroyed. But each one had a significant role to play. Each one had an incredible and powerful role to play. And each one did have an element of risk in their role. And the last thing that I want you to know about this story, and this again is jumping beyond anything I can prove. There are some scholars who say it's true. There are some scholars who deny that it's true. But in the year 100, I think it was, which is about 40 years after this letter was written, there was a bishop who's responsible for the ministry over Ephesus. And he was stoned to death, a martyr for the cause of Christ. And his name was Onesimus. I can't prove it's the same Onesimus, but it's very possible that Onesimus was welcomed back into the household of Philemon and the church that met there. And when, then as a result of God's hand on his life was raised to the point of being a leader in the early church, a bishop over Ephesus ultimately gave his life for Jesus Christ. Wow. In. If any one of those three people had chosen differently, Onesimus would have been still scurrying around in the bowels of the Roman Empire hiding from his sin. But because of boldness and courage and love and Christ likeness, two people were set free and one relationship was restored and the kingdom of God was advanced. I want us to close our time this morning. I have one final song that's going to play. I mean it as a time of meditation. If you need to come before the Lord and kneel at the altar or just in your seat, that's fine. This song is a it's about Peter and it reminds he's speaking as if it's the time following Um, Jesus' resurrection, but before their time on the beach, where Peter is wallowing around in his broken relationship with Jesus. How things are not right. Even though I had this great thing in the past, everything fell apart because of my bad choices. And I want you to listen to the song and let the Holy Spirit speak to you.